Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, just about everything. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly, and innovative products. I love them so much. We have the cleaning products in my house. We have it at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. We love them so much. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is really important, my friends. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the world at large. They use a membership model to keep costs low for us and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order, which is so cool, and they incorporate sustainability into every part of the company Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched over to their new everything store. We worked out an awesome deal just for the art of being well listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back repeatedly that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase as you wish. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash willcole or use code WILLCOLE at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash WILLCOLE to receive $15 off your first order. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. Hello everyone, it's Dr. Will Cole and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine practitioner. 
I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the world's first functional medicine telehealth centers over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, and my newest book, Intuitive Fasting. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, or the books, and there's tons of free content there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's dr. W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Let's get to today's guest. She is a longtime friend of mine. Her name is Leanne Vogel. She is a nutrition educator and the founder of Happy Keto Body, the ultimate 12-week online keto program for fat-burning women. Leanne has gained worldwide recognition for her unique, no-limits, paleo-friendly approach to the keto lifestyle and is the go-to resource for people looking to achieve health, happiness, and body confidence through a high-fat, low-carb keto diet. A few of my favorite things we cover in today's episode is how Leanne got started in holistic nutrition and her drive to help others learn how to heal their body individually and in relation to their goals, especially women. We talk about how Leanne helped to balance her own hormones and symptoms and work through her negative eating patterns. We talk about fasting and the right time to do fasting in relation to your body and your hormones. We talk about optimizing proper clean carbohydrates with menstrual cycle timing. We talk about Leanne's personal spiritual walk, which is very fascinating. And we talk about the books Leanne has written, how she hopes to help others. Leanne found keto through her personal struggles, which we talk about in the show with health and weight loss. It transformed her life and she immediately set out on a path to help others find the same success. With her top 10 health podcast, The Keto Diet, she provides daily motivation, tips, and advice for getting started with keto and overcoming hurdles along with maintenance plans. Leanne received her holistic nutrition certification from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and lives a nomadic life on a sailboat with her husband, Kevin, and their three fur babies. Lexi, Pebbles, and Coconut. Her recipes and healthy living strategies have been featured in Martha Stewart Living, The Huffington Post, Women's Health, AgainstAllGrain.com, Low Carb Conversations, The Diabetes Summit, and more. Let's get to today's conversation with my friend, Leanne Vogel. Leanne freaking Vogel, how the heck are you? <laughs> I am so good. How are you? <laughs> I love talking to you. I am doing well. I like to, I told you before we started recording, in between consulting patients right now, it's a good day, it's a busy day, but this was uh, like a really refreshing time to, to have you on the schedule to know I could talk with you today. Oh, I always look forward to it. I saw your name on my schedule today. I was like, yes, I'm going <laughs> to enjoy this hour. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> so for people that are new to your work, can you tell us what you do, what your passion is, what your heart is? Also how you came into this space. Yeah, so my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm a holistic nutritionist. I studied nutrition in 2007, so I've been at this game a while. Um, and I really got interested in nutrition because I had an eating disorder and I knew that I needed to understand my body so that I could properly heal my body. And I started studying nutrition just so I could help myself. And by the time I went through all the education and learning things, I had this compelling desire to share everything that I learned with people. And 
And there's, there's a lot of anger. I'm sure your listeners can relate to this of like, wait, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Why didn't anyone tell me this? And why didn't anyone tell me that hormonal birth control is bad for me? And why didn't anyone tell me that grains are going to affect my digestion? And I had just all of this I need to share this information with people. We don't know that there's toxins in our perfume that we wear every day. And we don't know what that's doing to our moods on a daily basis. And so when I graduated, I started working with clients. I started my blog, healthfulpursuit.com in 2010. And at the time I was vegan and I was sharing uh, plant-based eating. It's the way that I had eaten for quite some time. And fast forward a bunch of years, it had been seven years since I'd had a period. I went off hormonal birth control. And I found the ketogenic diet as a way to help heal my hormones. And after eating keto the wrong way for quite some time, I figured out the right way for my body and I got my period back. And so that was um, in 2014. And I've really been sharing how to support our hormones, support Mm -hmm. our lady bodies on a ketogenic diet. So I've written some books because of this passion that I have, um, including the keto diet, the keto diet cookbook, keto for women. I'm really passionate sharing how to create a diet that works best for your body, not Mm -hmm. somebody else's body, and to really empower you to make the decisions that are best for you and your Mm -hmm. lifestyle, as opposed to uh, set it and forget it, step one, two, three, and you'll be good forever sort of thing. Cause it's just not realistic. So that's kind of who I am and what I'm up to. I love what you, your, this passion that you have, and I love how you articulate this stuff. And I've talked to you, I've said this before to you, but for people that are, uh, that haven't heard this before that are new to the show, it, you know, when people do something, uh, and it's like, it's sticks with you for years of just, Oh my gosh, that was such a thoughtful thing that they did. You and your husband drove all the way down from one part of Florida to another part of Florida where I was speaking in Miami. And I really appreciate it. I loved that evening. It was so cool to meet your husband and, and get to spend that time together. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I was so happy that we dressed up and got out of the house and made that drive. And it was so great to get you meet you in person. And it's so rare yeah. that we get to do that in this kind of space. So yeah, I, I pray. I try to prioritize that as much as possible. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, you definitely live this authentic, kind life and that li- everything that you put into your books or your podcast, or it, you're the real deal for sure. Um, so you mentioned this way of doing keto. You, you mentioned amenorrhea, not having your period and getting your period back of a different way of keto. How? What were you doing wrong before? And then what did you change to remedy that? Yeah. So a couple of things, and I'm sure listeners can relate to this. If you've tried the ketogenic diet, my carbs were way, way, way too low. Uh, I was eating 20 grams of total carbohydrates and there were warning signs, (laughs) you know, like I was really dizzy. I had pins and needles. I was supplementing with electrolytes, but it wasn't helping. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'd wake up in the morning, I'd be very hungry when I'd eat. So I would, I would wait 18 hours every day. I fasted every day, 18 hours. I didn't care how hungry I got. That was another mistake that I made. And when I did eat, I'd fall asleep after eating. (laughs) Okay. And I noticed this with a lot of women as they start eating keto and we start getting more and more tired and we're like, we'll just push through it. So what I want you to hear is pushing through, you know, big red flags, you know, your check engine light is on, you're tired, you're experiencing uh, pins and needles. That was another big one that something needs to be adjusted. Um, I was getting heart palpitations and I came from, you know, 
and, and many women do from restrictive eating, you know, restrictive pattern after restrictive pattern. And I just put that same restrictive mentality onto mm -hmm. the ketogenic diet. So fast forward six months and I started binging and purging again. I had overcome the eating disorder, but because I was restricting so much with keto, I started doing the same thing with my ketogenic diet and purging maybe for you is jumping on the treadmill too long or purging could be fasting. It doesn't have to be making yourself throw up. It could be all these different ways that we can purge by not eating. That's a big, mm -hmm. big one for a lot of people. And so after six months, I was like, okay, this ketogenic diet thing is helping. My hormones are improving. You know, my levels of estrogen, progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, they're all increasing but I'm a hot mess. So I started cycling my carbohydrates and that was huge. That was huge, huge, huge. And as I started cycling the carbohydrates, at first it was like all the fun things. Like I was making gluten-free muffins and having pizza. And then I'm like, wait, I could definitely do better in this area and started incorporating, like I'd have full on green days where I'd start rotating my nutrients. So there would be days where I would be like hardcore vegan green juices, and then I'd go back to keto. And then I would wait until I felt like, I craved an orange and then I would eat like an orange with walnuts and go crazy maybe with a sweet potato at dinner. And so the cycling of carbohydrates as I started practicing like when is it best to eat the carbohydrates? When do I feel best? I started noticing that I felt best having carbohydrates in the evening because I wasn't on a sugar hungry binge the whole day. Mm -hmm. So this this continued for 9 months and I got my period back and then I started doing a lot of research on how our hormones relate to certain foods that we're eating. So what now that I had a cycle, I started understanding that, you know, the first 10 days of your cycle where you are, you know, you bleed for about maybe the first five days of your cycle, you're in the follicular phase up until ovulation. And during that time, those first 10 days of your cycle, that's the best time to eat low carbohydrate and to fast. Your estrogen is lower. Your progesterone is very low. So you can kind of do keto hardcore, but as you get closer to ovulation, those are the times where you, you know, you want to go out with friends or eat something um, that's not on your ketogenic plan. And as I started kind of pinpointing, okay, when is estrogen higher? When is progesterone higher? What do I need at those certain pre periods of time? So it really became instead of la la la, not listening, I'm just going to do this ketogenic diet and do it right. It's right. what is my body trying to tell me and what can I provide? So I'm actually able to go deeper into ketosis on the times where it's safe. I love that. So you grew an intuition really about your body and learning, yeah. learning, but you're curious about your body. So what would you say to somebody that is like, okay, well, if you feel better doing the, having increasing your carbs around your cycle, why wouldn't you always just have your carbs increase? You touched on it a little bit about you kind of really can lean into things like fasting and keto on other days of your cycle, but why not always increase your carbs? Yeah, because- <laughs> carbohydrates at a timed period, do you know, like for a great example, if I wake up in the morning and I have a big fruit bowl with maybe some nut butter on it and a protein shake, they're pretty balanced macros, but that amount of carbohydrates, I'm going to be hungry 
probably about an hour later. And then I'm going to have some more carbohydrates on top of the carbohydrates and more carbohydrates on top of those carbohydrates. And ideally they're not the cleanest, best fuel for energy, uh, hormone function, but we do require some of them sometimes. So Mm -hmm. when we, like I said, those first 10 days of our cycle from your first day of bleed to 10 days, because your estrogen and progesterone are low, you really don't need carbohydrates Mm -hmm. now. But what, if you fast forward to like, say, days 18 to 28. So the last part of your cycle, your progesterone needs to be higher. You're craving, like for me, it's always an orange. And so we can start to tap into how our hormones inform the type of carbohydrates that we want. Mm -hmm. But if your hormones are lower during the times that they're supposed to be lower, like that day one to 10, that's like the the most beautiful time where you're craving steak and you just (laughs) want protein and maybe you're waking up and you're not hungry. This is just not everything that we do on a daily basis is going to be best for us every day. right? Right. And that's why I find it so interesting to watch how men do the ketogenic diet because their hormones are the same every day, groundhog day for you guys. And you can just (laughs) get really deep into the ketogenic state. Um, But for women, because our hormones impact so many things, like you can't tell me that you feel the same on cycle day seven training. If you think of yourself at the gym and you're thinking cycle day seven, you're on fire. If you do try to do that exact same workout on cycle day 27, you will notice a difference. You will notice a difference. Your, your heart rate is going to be more increased. You're going to get hotter quicker because of the progesterone. You're going to be more thirsty. You're going to be less able to do those endurance type of workouts. So this is really just about timing those carbohydrates and your different nutrients at different times mm-hmm. to support those hormones. So to eat carbohydrates all day, every day really isn't essential. Just like eating keto all day, every day isn't essential. It's really about timing it properly so that Mm -hmm. you can make the most out of your eating style and not feel Mm -hmm. as restricted of like, oh, I'm on a ketogenic diet. I just can't have that, you know? So it adds variety. According to the World Health Organization, as much as 75% of the US adult population does not meet its daily magnesium needs. I know when I'm consulting patients, I see on an almost hourly basis on patients' labs, low magnesium, low magnesium, low magnesium. I see it throughout the day. And magnesium is very important and deficiency is very rampant. It's responsible for over 300 essential functions in the human body. It regulates our mood, our brain function, our energy levels, nerve and muscle health, as well as our physical response to stress. Mellow is specifically formulated to replenish and optimize your body's magnesium levels at a cellular level simply and naturally. What is Mellow, you ask? It is made from my friends at Ned, and Mellow is a magnesium super blend. And my favorite flavor has to be the lavender berry. So it comes in little packets and you just pour the packets in water and it tastes so freaking good. Mellow is this powerful daily magnesium supplement supercharged with L-theanine, GABA, and over 70 trace minerals. And it's crafted from a proprietary blend of three of the most bioavailable, which means usable, to the body, forms of magnesium, including the only type of magnesium shown in studies to cross the blood-brain barrier, i.e. your brain freaking loves it. And Mellow provides essential daily support for our mind, our body, 
and our mood. And my friends at Ned are offering you 15% off your first one-time purchase or 20% off your first subscription order with code WILLCOLE. Just use WILLCOLE at checkout for 15% off your first one-time purchase or 20% off your first subscription order. So all you have to do is use code WILLCOLE and go to helloned.com slash WILLCOLE. Again, that's helloned.com slash Will Cole, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Will Cole and use code Will Cole for that discount. As you all know, I am consulting patients around the world at my functional medicine telehealth center, which means I'm staring at a screen when I'm consulting them all day long, which is amazing. I love my job, but I have to protect my eyes because staring at a screen all day long can really impact your eye health. It can create sore eyes, digital eye strain, watery eyes, fatigue, headaches, all types of stuff that I don't want. And the way that I support my eye health is the blue light computer glasses from my friends at Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks are made in optics laboratories in Australia. They aren't mass produced in factories in Asia. They have stylish frames that have been featured in Vogue and they have science-backed technology tested to ensure that they actually work. That's a good thing, right? Unlike other blue light glass companies, which oftentimes aren't very effective. Since wearing the blue light computer glasses from Blue Blocks, I literally have no more digital eye strain or headaches. I feel amazing. As I'm recording this podcast, I am wearing the glasses right now. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. They have glasses for every need. Blue light for helping with digital eye strain, summer glow for helping with low mood and migraines, and sleep plus for improving your sleep. Blue Blocks has also other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, and 100% blackout sleep masks, all backed by science. Blue Blocks ships worldwide in rapid time, and they have easy return and exchange policies. Go to blueblocks.com slash willcole and use coupon code willcole to save 15%. That's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash willcole and use coupon code willcole to save 15%. You and I, I mean, we, we've talked about this many times in the past. We speak the same language on this topic. And for just to unpack a little bit for the listeners, like what Leanne is saying is to maintain metabolic flexibility, specifically for women, a cyclical ketogenic diet is a way to maintain that. So you're putting the log on the fire, the fat for fuel, but also the kindling on the fire, sugar or clean carbs for a time too, to leverage the benefits of both. So you don't have to pick one or the other. Uh, something that we've talked about in the past was when our books came out, when Ketotarian came out and your books came out, there was the, the there's keto zealots that uh, we don't fit into that keto zealot uh, <laughs> mold. Can you talk about that? Like how, what we're saying is kind of like, was at least at some point very controversial. Like how could you ever say leave ketosis? How could you leave the promised land? <laughs> could you expound upon that a little bit? Yes. I remember speaking at um, the Keto Diet Summit for the first time. And it was the first time I was talking in public saying, 
okay, keto folk, let's add carbohydrates to your ketogenic diet. And I was so afraid that people were going to throw bacon at me. Like I just, (laughs) I was so terrified. And I think, you know, we see that in every sort of niche within, you know, the space. If a vegan were to say, well, you know, I do bone broth once a week because it's high in glycine and I need the collagen. They'd be like, get out, (laughs) get out. But, but, you know, I think, I think we need to remember that these, these eating styles are there to help us to heal us. And there are going to be some people, um, you know, for example, a woman who's already experienced menopause, her ketogenic diet is going to look very different than a woman in her thirties. Who's still having a cycle for the woman who's in menopause, they can pretty much eat keto and they don't need to adjust much for the hormone stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but for a 30 year old, it's going to be different. And I think it's unfortunate that just like we can kind of get stuck in one thing, the community can get stuck in one thing and it's definitely changing. And I love seeing that there are more of us on the outside being like, Hey, maybe we need to adjust our carbohydrates here and there. And even our nutrients, you know, I was having a a wonderful conversation with a colleague of mine the other day talking about carnivore and how, even if you do nose to tail beef, beef is quite low in thiamine. And so if you're just eating beef, that's going to be a problem. But if you incorporate pork, all of a sudden you have a good amount of thiamine. And Mm -hmm. so just kind of looking at that of if I am eating keto every day for the rest of my life, what does that look like from a nutrition standpoint? And what does it even look like as a lifestyle? Just, Mm -hmm. you know, on my birthday, I'm sorry, I'm eating a regular cake. If you want to eat the keto cake with the buttercream, blah, 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 with cricket flour, good on you. (laughs) That is not my truth. (laughs) Like, It's just going to be, I want a unicorn cake made with fondant (laughs) and the next day. And, you know, the really cool thing that I noticed recovering from an eating disorder and disordered relationship with food is I'm the type of person that when I completely cut out something, I want that something more than anything. Yeah. But if I just say I can have this whenever I want, I'm choosing to have it at this time because it makes me feel the best. Then it's a choice I'm making, not a X nay on carbs forever, because then I will be drowning in the carbs in the corner, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I hundred percent. I mean, that was actually my follow-up question. Is that around disordered eating? And I, I get this question. I'm sure you get this question too, is how could something like the ketogenic diet, which seems restrictive compared to the standard Western diet, and even with the cyclical approach, how was that for you? What do you say to people that have maybe a history of disordered eating that they may think that starting keto diet is the opposite of what they should be doing. What what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there are so many camps. So I went through eating disorder recovery and the big checkbox to say that I had recovered is that I could eat any of the junk foods and feel okay with it. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of one camp. The other camp is getting off the sugar rush that causes you to constantly want to binge and purge or restrict. And so because I had experienced anorexia, bulimia, and orthorexia, it was kind of like a matter of kind of moving a bunch of those things at the same time. You know, for anorexia or under eating, you need to be able to force yourself to eat. So in those cases, I definitely see how carbohydrates have a better better recovery rate because carbohydrates are going to make you hungry. Just like I said, the big bowl of fruit salad guaranteed, I'm going to have another fruit salad in about an hour. And for something like that could be beneficial for a phase. But then when we get into more binge eating and my experience with bulimia was very much of, 
you know, I need to figure out how to not be crazy around food. And that craziness was fueled by sugar. Every time I had just a little bit of sugar, I wanted more sugar and I wanted more sugar and more sugar and more sugar. And so when it came to the bulimia, it was very much of, okay, if I stop eating sugar and I say, like, I definitely went through a phase of, I can have the sugar. It is sitting in my pantry. Anytime I want, I can have the sugar. Cause if I cut it out completely, then I'll want it even more. So there it is in my pantry. I can have it anytime. I'm choosing not to. And when I did experience a binge and for anyone who binge eats or just feels uncontrollable around food, the best technique that I came up with was to sit with it and feel everything. Like, how does my brain feel right now? How does my body feel right now? How am I feeling right now? And I just was very curious as to what was going on Mm -hmm. so that I could be planted in my body and start to understand, you know what? I actually don't really like ice cream. It kind of doesn't make me feel good. And so really being inquisitive about what is this food doing? How am I feeling? What are my moods after? How's my digestion? Then we can start to make decisions, not based on, well, I can't have this pint of ice cream. It's, I don't want to feel like garbage the next day on this pint of ice cream. And so it's a slow and steady process. And it really depends on where you're at with your experience with a disordered um, past. But I think the biggest thing is like embodiment. How can you get in your body, in your body? Because my experience was like, I disconnected completely from my body and just went on this free for all. So Mm -hmm. keto was really, 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 really helpful in getting off that sugar train and just, Mm -hmm. oh, here I am. I am present with my food now. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly what I've seen with patients that have had a past or they're currently working with an eating disorder specialist is that when you get someone feeling better, you get the hormones more balanced, you get inflammation levels lower, you get them more fat adapted so they're less hangry and uh, volatile, even just from a hormonal standpoint, you feel better and that's encouraging and you have more agency over your food choices. And like you said, you have that awareness to say, oh, I love feeling better more than I miss that food that made me feel really lousy. And that's that mm-hmm. freedom, actually. It's it's the opposite of slavery to food. It's a freedom that people can find and a peace that people can find with that. I love that. Huge. I love the way that you worded that. So on that same topic, I mean, we can talk about that and disordered eating, but fasting, intermittent fasting, And specifically with women, how should women be intermittent fasting? And let's not be overly reductionist. We just got done saying it's true. Every woman is different. What is she struggling with? But what are some general things that people should consider, uh, women should consider as far as fasting is concerned? Yeah. So I think just like we just talked about with carbohydrates and cycling carbohydrates, there's a time and a place to fast. And that might not be every day. (laughs) If you're waking up hungry every single morning, that's a good sign that you need carbohydrates in the evening. If you are then falling asleep after every meal, that's a good sign that you're fasting too much or Mm -hmm. that your meals are too small. So if that's you and you're like eating and you're falling asleep, it might be a good time to start adding three meals a day, like three balanced meals a day for just a little bit. I'm not saying never fast again. You know, there are seasons to all of our different approaches. And so once you kind of get the symptoms down, the best times to fast in relation to your cycle are gonna be days one to 10, 
Okay. And then again, days 15 to 17. So after ovulation for these three days, that's the best time to go longer periods of time fasting. And when I say longer, it's like 18 plus hours. Other than that, you know, for me, myself personally, right before I ovulate those days, 11 to 14, and then again, 18 to 28, I'm not really fasting. Like I might do a 14 hour fast because I skip breakfast and I'm just too busy and it's a tool that I can use. But other than that, when when I know that my hormones are going up, whether it's estrogen or progesterone, I'm eating because those hormones require food. Even mm-hmm. just incorporating something like extra food, like alfalfa sprout, strawberries, pumpkin seeds. These are all foods that support our estrogen. Mm -hmm. Or if you look at progesterone, even poultry or grass-fed beef or Brussels sprouts, these are foods that can help our progesterone. Now those are keto foods, but if you're fasting a whole bunch, you just don't get a lot in. And Mm -hmm. so those are kind of the, how I structure it. And then you can incorporate different types of fasting. I think Generally for women, unfortunately, maybe people will be upset when I say this, but I find women get really excited over the fatty coffee thing and we go hard at it. And we're like, if I can add MCT oil, I'm also going to add MCT oil powder and cacao butter and butter. And all of a sudden these drinks are like 800 calories. And I'm not saying that calories are king whatsoever, but if you're eating an 800 calorie drink, you are not going to be hungry later. And so my recommendation, generally speaking, is to not fast quote unquote, fast with a fatty coffee. If you're going to fast, drink water, have Earl Grey tea because the bergamot oil can increase autophagy. But I don't really support like a fatty coffee thing so much Mm -hmm. anymore. And if you're hungry, then eat real food. Um, Mm -hmm. Even like a keto shake or something as opposed Mm -hmm. to just a fat bomb of fat. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that in a way that the the fat coffees, however bulletproof, whatever you want to call it, it's a nice, uh, like almost missionary to being fat adapted. Like you're getting people off of the junk food breakfast, yes. the carbohydrates, the, 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 that kind of stuff, refined sugar. But so I find that it's a good transition food. Okay. It's better, but just because something's better doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal for yes. you long-term. Yes. Yes. So beautifully said. And you also have to look, I think we get so stuck in our ways and we're like, but this worked for the first two weeks of my ketogenic diet. So this is what I'm going to do. And then we start experiencing all these symptoms like, Ooh, actually no, like, I don't think I should be fasting today, but you must, you know, or I don't think I should have a fatty coffee today, but you must. And so I think it's that curiosity is really important. Absolutely. So people, if they want to do it once in a while, totally fine. But what we're saying is I agree with you, depending on that really calorically dense thing every day may not be the best way to to fast or even do a clean ketogenic or a lower carb lifestyle longer term. One thing I talk a lot about on the show because it's something that I see clinically on a very regular basis when I'm consulting patients is gut health. It is such a central point to human physiology. It's 70, 80% of our immune system. It's where 95% of serotonin, our happy neurotransmitter is made and stored. It regulates hormones, brain function, immune function, and it's obviously your gastrointestinal system. So it's very important for healthy digestion as well. The trillions of beneficial bacteria in our gut are crucial for our overall health. They break down food, teach your body how to recognize threats, and supports your optimal immune 
function. Feeling your best requires that you have as much good bacteria and bacterial diversity living in your gut as possible. Unfortunately, it doesn't take much to deplete your supply. Stress, one round of antibiotics or more obviously can do even more damage, potentially poor food choices, exposure to chemicals like glyphosate or a viral infection. That's why I'm a big fan of Just Thrive Probiotic. I recently had Just Thrive's founder and microbiologist on the podcast. If you haven't heard that episode, please check it out. It's so good. Just Thrive Probiotic is vastly different because of one simple word, survivability. See, most probiotics die well before they ever get to your gut. So many people are taking really lousy probiotics that aren't very effective. Even the supposedly special probiotics in the refrigerated section are, in effect, dead on arrival. This makes sense. If a probiotic can't survive at room temperature, how can it possibly survive your 98.6 degree body temperature? Just Thrive Probiotic is different because their proprietary strains are designed to survive and thrive. When they sense that conditions are about to get rough, they put up a natural endospore shell, which acts like an impenetrable coating. Pretty cool, right? This allows the strains to pass through your stomach acid that's strong enough to dissolve metal and endure the bile and enzymes of your digestive tract, which pulverizes most travelers on contact to arrive fully intact in your intestines and ready to go to work. In fact, studies have proven that Just Thrive Probiotic arrives in your gut 100% alive, delivering maximum digestive and immune health benefits. Personally, I've added Just Thrive Probiotic to my daily routine and I am loving it. I highly recommend it. I love that it's vegan-friendly, non-GMO, and gluten, dairy, soy, sugar, and histamine free. And it's incredibly resilient. You can actually break open a cap and sprinkle the powder into your drink or smoothie. You can even bake or fry with it up to 455 degrees without losing potency. This is especially helpful if you have little ones at home who don't like taking capsules. For exceptional gut and immune support, there is nothing like Just Thrive Probiotic. To get 15% off your order today, go to justthrivehealth.com and use promo code WILLCOLE at checkout. Again, justthrivehealth.com and use promo code WILLCOLE at checkout. Something I wanted to clarify for people or for you to expound upon, because I think people will be thinking about this, is something as simple as your cycle. I mean, you and I know what this is, but I find that many women, let alone men, they don't understand what we even mean by when we say day one or day 15. Like, what are, what are we talking about there? Yeah. Okay. I'm so glad you asked because I know that when I first got a period, I was like, uh, I don't even know what these day numbers are. (laughs) Okay. So day one is your first day of bleed. Now, if you're spotting throughout the month, don't count your spotting as your first bleed. This is like the first day where you have a cycle, whether that cycle lasts one day or three days. And that means that you're bleeding for those days. A generally healthy cycle is going to be about five days. So when I say, you know, fasting days one to 10, 
with a healthy cycle at a five days, those first five days, you're going to be having your period and the last five days, you probably won't. And then the other important day is your ovulation. Now, assuming you're on a 28 day cycle, which is kind of our goal of where we want to be, your ovulation is going to be around day 14. So that's kind of how you track your cycle. Um, So again, day one is bleed, day 14-ish is ovulation, day 28 is the last day of your cycle, and then it repeats. Now, Mm -hmm. if you have a longer cycle, like say it's 32 days, well, then your ovulation is going to be probably around day 16 or 17. So you kind of have to adjust your timing in there. Got it. Thank you for clarifying that. And then the clean carb days where you're cycling, you mentioned what works for you is at the beginning of your cycle around your period and then right after ovulation. Is that correct? Okay. So uh, for those carbohydrates where you're timing things, you want to do it on days 11 to 14. So that'll be before ovulation. So about three days before ovulation. So if you ovulate on day 17, you're going to want to do like day 14, 15, 16, or if you ovulate on day 14, perhaps it's 11, 12, 13, 14, like around there, you want to be eating those carbohydrates. And then after you've ovulated, uh, whatever that is for you, um, then you can go low carb again. This is the best time that I love doing longer term fasts. So if you're like hardcore, like I am sometimes uh, doing like a 24 or 48 hour fast, um, that's usually the best time that I find feels best. And then right after that, those three days following ovulation, you're doing the carbohydrates. Now, I find with the amount of carbohydrates, it's really not a lot. It's at dinner time, you're adding a carbohydrate to your meal and you're taking the fat out. So it's not a necessary, like you're just adding sweet potato to a keto meal. It's take <laughs> most of the fat out, put the sweet potato in. So you're kind of doing a tradesy thing. I like that. And just getting that carbohydrate. And if that feels really fun and you're like, I wonder what it would feel like to do vegan next time. And so maybe that day you eat a vegan breakfast, a vegan lunch, a vegan dinner, and you like amp up the nutrients and you really focus on like how many nutrients can I get in this day? And then assess, how did that feel? Mm, I actually liked the carbohydrate dinner better. I feel kind of hungover. So maybe next time I'll do a vegan dinner instead of a whole day. So it's just about that curiosity. Absolutely. And for people that are listening to this, what Leanne is saying, what I advocate for people too, is to check in with your body. Like we keep saying about this, you may Mm -hmm. find your clean carb increase cycling days or or a little bit before because everyone's cycle is different. So it's, you have to play around with it and experiment, but be consistent with your experimentation. So you can actually see how that makes you feel. Check in with your energy, check in with your digestion, check in with your weight loss, all that stuff. If that's the goal for you. Yes. And I'm so happy you mentioned the checking in. The best way I found to do that is to just go to the dollar store and get a little paper calendar, you know, like a yearly calendar and write in like cycle day 14, carbohydrates felt great, exclamation point, exclamation point. Um, That way you can go back to it. Like, what did I do on cycle day 14 last month? Just to get a sense of it. Otherwise, just checking in with yourself and not writing it down you're going to totally forget what's happening. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Do you ever use the apps? I have some patients that like the, the Flow app or 
I know there's different apps out there. Yeah, I love the Flow app. I love the Life app. Um, I'm just more of like, maybe it's because I'm a writer. Like I yeah. like paper and yeah. I like just seeing it and I can go back to it. Uh, I'm more of that kind of person. But yeah, if you're an app person, both yeah. those apps are really great for tracking those things. Cool, cool. So you mentioned a little bit like bring that sweet potato, like do that trade with increasing your clean carbs, decreasing fats. Do you recommend people to track macros on those days? And maybe just... If even if you don't recommend it, like what does a gram typical look like on the keto days versus the uh, cycling days? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I find it's more of like a gram amount than macro percentages. So I find that if you're aiming for like 40 grams of carbs extra, like start at 40 grams and kind of see how do I feel? that was pretty hardcore. Maybe I'll go to 30 or (laughs) I could have done more. Let's try it out. Let's try 60 max. I would say probably around a hundred grams. I wouldn't go further than that. It's just a good starting point. And again, it's going to be different for you depending on when you're doing it. I find that the further along in your cycle, the more carbohydrates you can handle. And so a carbohydrate that I do maybe on day 11 or 12 or 13, right before that ovulation, I might do like some dried apricots on a salad to help with the estrogen. But say cycle day 28, when you're like, when is my period coming? Oh my gosh, I feel like an Instapot ready to blow up. Just give me some (laughs) carbohydrates. You're probably going to have a lot more. Like maybe you've made a pumpkin soup and you're you're having that with some grass-fed beef and maybe there's some sauteed squash on the side. Like you want to do more carbohydrates during that time. Then I find that that's um, more of the hundred gram realm as you get further along. And it's not an everyday thing. So just like I said at the beginning, like if you're waking up and you're hungry in the morning, that's a good sign that you need that leptin reset. Um, so having those carbohydrates in the evening can be helpful um, mm-hmm. to just, oh, now all of a sudden I can fast today. Well, that's really cool. Um, so you can kind of use that as a marker to let you know whether or not you overdid it as opposed to underdid it. I love that. So you mentioned some of these foods that are higher in these clean carbohydrates. Many people that, you know, that are lay people that aren't in this space, they equate carbohydrates with only grains. So I think that's a really good point to highlight here is what Lee and I are talking about is not just increased grains, even though that could be something that you do. Can you talk about some other, what are your go-to clean carbohydrates when you're cycling? Yeah. Okay. Um, lots of different fruits. Like I do more of an AIP thing. So I don't recommend grains too much just because they can be so inflammatory and things for people. So berries, apples, oranges, potatoes, then uh, pumpkin, squash, what else? Oh, uh, dried fruits, like dried apricots yeah. and dates, medjool dates, especially like those things are powerhouses. <laughs> and I actually wore a continuous glucose monitor for a couple months. I'm going to wear another one next week. I'm so excited and found that medjool dates for me don't affect my glucose at all. Wow. And so having that ability to use dates in that way has been really fun. Even dried prunes, peaches, white beans, if you want to do the beans route, like doing green beans, beans, mug beans. Those are some that I really, really love and all pale, quote unquote, paleo friendly, sweet potatoes, great green juices. Sometimes if I'm feeling like I need a little green juice action. Yeah. What do you think of smoothies? Uh, Like 
What are your thoughts on yeah, smoothies? Yeah, I think yeah. smoothies with avocado, like the avocado smoothie situation yeah. um, is great. Uh, flax seeds, adding that for the fiber. Flax is like my go-to fiber because it doesn't affect the gut too much and feels mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah, smoothies are great. I kind of do the same smoothie all the time. It's quite boring. Um, but even adding pumpkin to your smoothie is awesome. And yeah. just playing around with that and um, having some fun with not adding grains like some people add soaked oatmeal and stuff. I don't even go there. Like just pump it full of spinach and pumpkin and coconut milk and protein powder, collagen specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can play around with carbohydrates even in that by notice how I didn't really mention a ton of fat. Um, So it's it's nutrient dense. Yeah, exactly. What so? What is your boring go-to smoothie? I want to know about this. (laughs) Yeah, it's a coconut milk, flaxseed, avocado, spinach, almond butter, and collagen. Oh, and I know this is weird. Lemon juice. I don't know why. I just love the lemon juice in there. I could see that. Yeah, it's an acquired taste. (laughs) I'll have to try that out. What's your favorite collagen powder? What do you usually use? Literally anything that's um, (laughs) not expensive. Like it's so interesting to learn about the business behind collagen and like, all of this collagen guys comes from the same place. So that's just been really enlightening. I just look for the, you know, the lower cost one, but I do really love the um, beef protein powder from Paleo Valley. It's salty, which sounds weird, but it's awesome. And I, it adds like the salty flavor to a lot of things, which I like. And I think on your ketogenic diet, having the saltiness is really nice, especially for our adrenals. And because our insulin is lower, we're not processing or holding on to electrolytes as much. So I really like the beef protein. That's cool. good stuff. I love it. I have to try it out. Uh, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Something that I love following along when you share this on social media is your spiritual walk and what spirituality looks like for you. And I find that very interesting. And I, I appreciate that you share it. Not everybody shares that, especially when they're known as, I mean, you're the keto for women queen. I mean, like people don't expect, well, why, why is she sharing this? But I love it. You're a whole person. You're not just that. And it's something that's such an integral part to people's wellness walks uh, for many people. But why is it important for you? And what does it look like for you? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. And it's changed so much for me so quickly. Like I grew up in a Catholic household where we just went to church on Sunday. We really didn't have a Catholic household. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't really introduced to who God was, who Jesus is. Like I didn't have that introduction. And so because my mother was really involved in more new age practices, I had a very new agey kind of view on life. And I, Mm -hmm. I had pretty good spiritual health. You know, I meditated daily and it wasn't until about two years ago that I got involved in more alternative forms of healing through Reiki and intuitive sessions, um, working with spirit guides and things where things started getting very dark for me. And I started relying on all of these practices in order to make pretty big life decisions. You know, I would muscle test to figure out whether or not I was doing just about anything. And it became very debilitating for me. And it it became this very, very heavy burden where I was kind of just like, you know, those images of those waiters who are like holding all the plates in their left and right hand if one of their (laughs) legs is up. And I'm just trying to balance all this stuff and make sense 
of everything that at my darkest, darkest time where I had hit a pretty rough patch this time or around March of 2020, I was sitting on a, on a new age call learning about non-dualism. And I just got this overwhelming feeling like what I was doing was not working. I was exhausted. I was uh, holding all this stuff and I needed to know who Jesus was. Mm. And this came as a huge surprise to me. And so I, I realized very quickly that the content that I was sharing, saying that there was no God or there was no God that would save us, um, especially during everything that was going on in the world last year, I realized that that was very misinformed. And so I bought myself a Bible and wow. I read the whole thing. Um, <laughs> And I then decided to become a Christian, which was wow. um, one of the most, it's the most important decision I've ever made in my life, um, but also surprised me. And just like you said, I am a whole person. And because I run a business that is healthful pursuit, but I am Leanne Vogel, it's always been very difficult to balance things of like, what do I share? What do I not share? But I think, you know, it can be very challenging as people that are following um, these other individuals, if they don't see the whole story, I find some of the people that I follow, I'm like, they have it all figured out. They're so great. And that's just, that is not me <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, and I think sharing that intimately and sharing how how challenging new age was for me personally and, and how uh, you know, there's this beautiful part um, in Matthew. Uh, he says, Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and will find rest for your souls. Like, oh, that's what I needed. That's <laughs> like, beautiful. Just rest, rest. And to have, I think, you know, I, I love seeing people's spiritual walks and how, especially for me, I was picking up every rock. Does this fit in this empty hole right here? Does this fit in this empty hole right here? Does this fit? No, it wasn't until I found the rock, like mm. the rock, God, where it fits so perfectly. <laughs> and I can rest in his mm. love and his steadfast love and just get to know who he is, not what people have said, other yeah. people, but just yeah. what does the word say? It's been just amazing and has transformed my life. Thank you for sharing. I didn't know all of that happened, but it's, I'm happy to hear about that. And I'm so glad you found that. And I mean, and for you, it's what it sounds like to me is this isn't about a religion so much as just this relationship that you found with, with God. Yeah. I think a great, there's like this meme that goes around the internet and religion is, oh no, I screwed up. I can't tell my dad, like I'm <laughs> terrified of my dad, but the gospel is, I screwed up. Where's my dad? <laughs> I just need to talk to my dad. And so I think that's the big difference from growing up being terrified of God's wrath and then learning that through Jesus' death, we don't have to worry about that wrath and we're covered in his righteousness. And just getting to read the word outside of what people say God is, has just been Oh, life-changing. Just amazing. <laughs> oh my goodness, Lena. I'm so excited to, to be able to talk to you about that. Something else that I wanted to talk about is, and as people are hearing this conversation, they will know that you are one of the nicest people. And part of the reason why you're so nice is because you're Canadian. It's like in your blood. <laughs> it's like Canadians are just inherently some of the nicest, God's nicest people under the sun. And you are from the frigid North, the frozen North. And now you live this amazing nomadic 
life in the tropics on a boat. Can you share like what that was like? How did you switch that up and what you're doing? <laughs> like life is so mysterious. I don't <laughs> even know like how these things happen. Well, I was writing my first book and my husband was like, we need to get you out of the house. You've been sitting in your office for months. And so we bought a little RV to start traveling about and we really liked it. So when it came time to sell that RV, because it wasn't a very good RV, we were looking at other RVs and we found this really big 40 foot RV. And we were like, this is so big, you could live in it. And then we kind of joked like, do people our age live in RVs? Is that reserved <laughs> for retirees in their 70s? Nope, it's a thing. So we renovated this RV back in 2017, traveled all through North America. I mean, we drove everywhere in that thing, carried our Jeep behind us, had our three dogs with us traveling about. And we were sitting in Destin, Florida. We had had our plans had all changed. We were sitting on the beach with our RV and the whole bit. And we saw this little sailboat bought by and just as a joke, I said like, hey, I wonder if people our age live in those things. <laughs> and then, so we went on Google and, and, and searched and people do live on boats. So we thought, you know, <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? Let's buy a sailboat and figure this out. If you don't have sailing experience and you're from like Calgary, Alberta, Canada, where there is no water, probably a horrible idea to buy like a 60 foot sailboat and learn how to sail on it. Yeah, like, yeah. that was poor choice. So um, we sold that sailboat and uh, we just got into a powerboat. So now we're using diesel to move ourselves around and kind of just traveling through the Caribbean um, and getting to meet people and yeah. Share the gospel and just having a good time. I love time. it. You're like pirate missionaries. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Acts 27, baby. Any, <laughs> any people who have read the Bible will know Acts 27 is when they're going all over the place with their boat. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So you are living primarily on a boat. Like, what does that look like? Boat life. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, <laughs> boats have a lot of problems and our sailboat had like oodles of problems. We were mostly living in an Airbnb back and forth. We had quite a challenge, but with our newest boat, we are moving into her next week. And so the plan with her is to live on her full time um, and travel through the Caribbean and stop back up in Florida when we need like real food, you know, like that's always a challenge to find mm -hmm. a good stuff down South. Um, but yeah, so we live on the boat full time. We don't have a home anymore. We sold the RV. So yeah, it's, a, it's a challenge to never really know where you're going to be, what's going to be happening. If you'll have internet, what food you'll have. So it's always been a challenge for me. That's very type a, um, mm -hmm. but it's a good challenge to like lean into the anxiety and be like, it's okay. It's fine. It'll figure itself out. So it's definitely a challenge at times, but it's such a beautiful lifestyle with so many different people and different walks of life and um, yeah. getting to learn from others and be part of that community that's very tight. Right. It's just really nice to care for your neighbors and they care for you. Um, it's, it's a beautiful experience. It's beautiful. So, I mean, I can't imagine being, I mean, you could be from Pittsburgh like myself, or like you said, Calgary or wherever, this isn't part of our life. And you guys just bought this boat and you're out to sea. How I would be so petrified. How do you even find out where to go? I mean, what's, how did you, 
lots of YouTube well, videos. Maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. There are maps and there are like travel guides. You like buy books and it tells you where to anchor. That was, I think, the hardest part was just wrapping your head around like where do we go and how do we know that that place is safe? And right. so there, just like there are apps for literally anything, there are apps for boaters. And you just go on the little app and you look at the little map and you see where people have dropped anchor, meaning they've put their anchor in the ground, pulled back on it, stayed a while. I think just wrapping your head around weather also of like, I mean, you're at the mercy of weather and you can think that, you know, man has figured out a lot of things, but he still cannot predict the weather perfectly. And Mm -hmm. so there are some times you're sitting at anchor and you're like, this is such a great anchorage. And then the wind starts shifting. You're like, okay, let's pick up the anchor. We got to go. Um, so that kind of stuff is just, you're, you're constantly just adjusting for, for nature. (laughs) So was there a point in the middle of the Caribbean or the Atlantic that you're like, where am I? What are we doing? Where's land? Yes. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. I know exactly. This was our like third week by ourselves without our training captain. We had decided to go from the Abacos in the Bahamas down to Eleuthera. And generally this is like an overnight. We like to, we liked to do overnight trips before this one. Um, And we left out of the cut, which is like a small, it's, it sounds scarier than it is, but we left out of this small cut, like this break between two islands. We left and the sun is setting. It's beautiful. We're running the generator. I'm making some dinner. And then the wind starts picking up a little bit and it gets up to like 25 knots, which is not an insignificant amount of wind. And the the waves start getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Four hours into it, we were going, like I was at the helm and I was holding on to the steering wheel and we were going up the wave and then down the wave. And then wow. I was like, what am I doing here? And the the ocean plays tricks on your mind when you're in that state. And I was thinking like, we're about 20 miles offshore. If I jump off now with the current, I might end up on land. Like I really didn't want to be on the boat. And that was Mm -hmm. the first, like, we need to know what we're doing. And this is not fun and games. That was the first big, like, yeah. What have I done? This was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But (laughs) But you learn through those times, I'm sure. Like galvanizes you. It yeah. does. It does. And the yeah. ocean is, is you learn a lot very quickly about yourself, about your marriage, <laughs> about sure. what you need and require when you're in a small space with somebody in sometimes not dangerous. Okay, if my mom ever listens to this, she's going to freak <laughs> out, but, <laughs> but just like, you really have to um, know who the boss is and take direction. And that's been really humbling for me to kind of allow my husband to just call the shots. And I'm like, okay, Let's do that because you can't have multiple cooks in the kitchen when things are going sideways. So right. that's been fun to learn. Very, very much. And I would assume it would requ- require when you started this life to get rid of a lot of things and live as a minimalist. What what did, what was that like? Oh, it was so hard. I had such a beautiful home. Oh, I still think about my beautiful couch that cost <laughs> a bazillion dollars that I loved so much. Yeah, it was hard. It was a process. Like we we thought at first that we would put our stuff in storage and then we would travel for a bit and come back. So we put all our stuff in storage and then realized that that wasn't going to work and all this stuff would just sit there. So we sold that and then we sold more of that. And now we have one storage unit. It's mostly filled with boat parts. Like boats require so much many parts that I think that has definitely been a challenge with the boat versus the RV. The RV, you really, 
don't have a lot and you don't have a lot of space. I find with the boat, because you need so much stuff because you're gone from civilization for months at a time, you start collecting like a lot of tins of sardines, smoked oysters. I have like milk crates of smoked oysters. So I think that kind of thing um, has just been really interesting to realize how little we need. Mm -hmm. Um, I really don't need much. Like if I have a journal and a couple books and now my Bible and some Mm -hmm. markers, like I really don't need Mm -hmm. a lot to just entertain myself, but I, I really care about food and that's become even more evident with provisioning on a boat and making sure that we have like proper food and how do we source this and how does it stay that, that I think I've definitely become a collector of of articles of foods <laughs> yeah, more than anything. That. So what, I mean, you mentioned the canned oysters, right? But what, what are yes. some other go-to like boat friendly foods? Um, sea-friendly okay. Foods. Oh my goodness. So many things. We have been really fortunate to have a huge freezer in both of our boats and I'm actually adding another freezer on our next boat. Cool. So I load it full of grass-fed, grass-finished beef and like safe meats because you cannot find any good meat, like anywhere in the Caribbean. So that's like kind of my go-to and we do try to fish, but we're really no good. I'd really like to get better at it because the fish is delicious, but I always hurt myself or lose the fish when I've caught it. (laughs) Um, And then uh, I actually have a click and grow garden and a Hazuman seed sprouter. And so I actually make a lot of our produce, which is so great. And there's a whole movement on boats of people like creating, some people even have chickens, which I think is so hardcore, but people, because we don't have access to food, we have to be really cognizant. So I, I try to be as fresh as possible, but when we don't have access to fresh or my garden hasn't grown, that silly romaine that takes way too long. (laughs) Um, we, we do a lot of like bone broths and yeah, like canned, meats, unfortunately, but generally speaking, it's like a lot of grass-fed beef and vegetables that I've made. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have that ability and, and boaters eat horribly. Like the amount of food that I've seen eaten on people's boats that don't have refrigeration and they're eating Mm. canned foods for years at a time. We feel very lucky that we have fresh food and then invite those people over to share it with them because they need nutrients. (laughs) (laughs) So you're a missionary in more ways than one then. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Keto missionary. My friend, I love talking to you as, as I hope that you know that. Before we go, you're one of those people that I, when I'm walking through Target, your, your books are all throughout Target and many other places too. But like Target's like a cool thing because Target doesn't keep very many books. And I just love seeing your books at Target. It's like warms my heart. Does that ever like, you're like, well, that's my face in Target uh, on a book. Uh, what's that like? And then like, maybe before we go, just go through all your books that are out again. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, it's so weird. It still hasn't, you know, I have a couple of, actually, there was a lady that went to high school with me way, way back in the day. And she messaged me on Instagram the other day and said like, did you go to St. Francis high school in Calgary, Alberta? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I'm so-and-so. And And I'm like, I don't know who you are. This is so crazy. Like, (laughs) like just like that kind of stuff is just so mind blowing and just so cool and, um, warms my heart, especially for like local people who I went to school with 
that have my books or a friend goes over to their parents' house and my book is on their, their counter. And that's just, it's so cool because never in a million years would I think that my voice could get in the hands of people. And it was very important when I started the ketogenic diet and learned the right and wrong ways to do it specifically for women that I was the first one to write the keto diet. So I could be like, uh, like here, yeah. wedge myself in there, wedge that message in there. And it was really important for me. And it, I've worked my butt off to get that book together in time to be one of the first. And I'm, I'm very proud of that and thankful that my husband was able to coordinate our life in the meantime, because I was no fun to be around. So yeah, it never, it never gets old. It's always weird. Uh, when I go to certain places and my face is there, I'm like, that's, that's crazy. How is this real life? Um, but yeah, so I wrote the keto diet, um, the keto diet cookbook and keto for women. So the keto diet is a good intro. Um, it has a ton of meal plans, a ton of recipes. And then the keto, the keto diet cookbook really should have been called the keto diet for meal planning. Like it gives you a very strong structure of how to plan out your own meals based on small, medium, large, huge intakes. So you can kind of adjust things and play around with it. Um, and keto for women is really everything that's in my brain about how to function as a woman on a low carbohydrate diet. There are no recipes in that book. It's strictly information. Uh, it's like a textbook. It's mm -hmm. your go-to everything keto for women. And it's cool. Even that book came out last year and I could probably write an entire other book on cycling and keto for women. So it's just like, yeah. it keeps on giving. <laughs> it, it, there are great resources, great resources. Um, do you have, are you have another book in the works or? I do not. No, I'm focusing right now on my six week keto weight loss program, which is kind of combining hormone support for weight loss because I find so many women they go into keto and they're trying to make this work. It's an endocrine-based diet, so they need their hormones to be on point and they're not, and they're having all these issues. So I've really focused on my group coaching this year to kind of, there's always these ebb and flows, right? As you work with clients and you learn mm. more and then you get a book idea. So perhaps sometime in the future, I'll work on that, but I'm really just focused on my group coaching and also like boating because it takes a lot to <laughs> focus on that and fix things. <laughs> You're somewhere out in the Caribbean trying to figure yeah. this out. I love it. <laughs> My friend, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a blast. Yes. If you want to learn more about all the amazing things that Leanne is working on, her books, podcasts, so much stuff, check it all out at healthfulpursuit.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from May. May asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I know that you see a lot of underlying hormonal problems with your patients. Can you explain some of the top underlying hormonal problems that you see on labs that oftentimes gets missed? Very great question, May. Thank you so much. Uh, you're right. I definitely see a lot of different hormonal problems and it's normally not just a hormonal problem because hormones are messengers, right? They're like little biochemical emails that 
tell the body uh, to do certain pathways, to upregulate something, to downregulate something, to bring about some function in the body. So because it's a little biochemical email, there's normally a reason why that biochemical email is either oversending or undersending or sending in the wrong way in some way. So you have to understand the greater context of that. It's important not to be so myopic and think it's just about that hormonal imbalance. Typically, there's a greater context and a greater perspective on why. So the question that I'm always asking with my patients is, why? And let's go upstream. And can we go upstream even from there and keep going as upstream to the root cause as we can and look and putting the labs into perspective, understanding their health history and taking a comprehensive health history and really doing our due diligence from a health history standpoint. So just a little background on my perspective on that. But here to answer your question, here are some of the top underlying hormonal problems that I see that oftentimes get missed on conventional labs. The first hormonal problem that I see is insulin resistance. It's probably not the one you'd think I would say because it is well talked about in the conventional literature and very well known within mainstream medicine, but it's estimated that 70 to 80% of the United States has a massive blood sugar problem, is somewhere on that insulin resistant inflammation spectrum. The problem, why, and why I'm saying it, the underlying issue that's not being talked about is because oftentimes it's treated very from a reactionary standpoint in conventional medicine, that it's we're waiting till somebody's diagnosable with type 2 diabetes or something like that, like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, that is also driven by insulin resistance. We wait until it's that bad to be giving somebody a medication. But researchers estimate it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things were brewing on this insulin resistance spectrum. So I see people all different places on that spectrum, whether they're diagnosed or not, a lot, most of them are symptomatic, meaning they're experiencing the effects of dramatic insulin resistance in their body, meaning the insulin receptor sites on the cells, largely the liver, but peripherally as well, systemically as well, is that their receptor sites are blunted. So insulin can't get on the cell and that's not allowing glucose to get into the cell to create ATP or your cellular energy. And it can make just about everything worse. It increases risk of fatigue and, and weight loss resistance and whole host of different ripple effects, a far-reaching cascade of problems driven by insulin resistance. So it's definitely missed. So we have to look at serum insulin on labs. Um, high insulin would denote, would indicate uh, hyperinsulinemia or even a functional hyperinsulinemia or excess insulin in the blood because insulin can't get on those receptors. So there's typically a backup of insulin and backup of glucose. Uh, so we want to look at optimal ranges of insulin. Fasting insulin is going to be about three to eight. Glucose, fasting blood sugar, we want it under 90. Uh, and then looking at even C-peptide, which is a molecule to gauge for endogenous insulin production. If somebody's on, um, if we think they have like a type 1.5 diabetes or a type 1 diabetes, if they're not producing enough insulin, uh, we can look at these autoimmune types of cases as well. But for the most of the United States, it's some sort of excess insulin because they're insulin resistant. Triglycerides, we want to make sure that triglycerides under 100, above 100 in context with these other labs 
could indicate that the body's storing the blood sugar as circulating fat or triglycerides. And triglycerides is sort of this metabolic Paul Revere, if you will, that can happen years before anybody is diagnosed with anything that's saying, you know, diabetes is coming or metabolic syndrome is coming. Again, upwards of a decade before anybody's diagnosed. Not everybody gets diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. There are many people that live in this insulin resistant zone for the rest of their life. They're not diagnosable, but they feel miserable. So we have to look at the at this insulin resistance spectrum for sure. Leptin resistance go hand in hand with that as well. Leptin is a hormone that our fat cells produce. It tells the hypothalamic cells of the brain to burn fat. Many people that are struggling with weight loss resistance are struggling with an underlying hormonal resistance pattern similar to insulin resistance, only this is leptin resistance. So we have to put it in context with the insulin resistance, but Leptin can also spike from mycotoxins or mold toxins because mold can stress the brain out and can cause leptin resistance that way. So I see a lot of different underlying drivers of leptin resistance, and that's back to my earlier point of going upstream. Okay, leptin resistance is maybe contributing to that person's weight loss resistance, but why do they have weight loss resistance? Why do they have leptin resistance? Let's figure out what's driving that. And from some people, it's it's other sources of inflammation. For some people, it is insulin resistance. For some people, it is underlying biotoxin issues like mold toxins or mycotoxins. Um, another thing that I see a lot oftentimes on labs are thyroid issues and incomplete thyroid labs will miss the mark with looking at the nuances of thyroid hormone physiology. So running a full thyroid panel, which includes total T4, total T3, free T3, free T4, thyroid antibodies like thyroid peroxidase and thyroid globulin antibody to rule in these autoimmune thyroid cases like Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease. So definitely thyroid issues are missed. Oftentimes we see a lot of autoimmune thyroid cases that are missed. We see a lot of underconversion or activation of the thyroid hormones missed as well. And again, we have to ask the question, why? What's the context of that? These are biochemical messengers or emails. What's the the, the actual true um, upstream reason of why? What's triggering the autoimmune thyroid problem? What is causing the underconversion of the thyroid hormone? So this, these are definitely things that we have to look. And that's why health history is so important and other labs are so important and not just hanging your hat on one biomarker and one number on, a, on the lab, but looking at the total picture of it. Another thing that I see are estrogen and progesterone imbalances. There's estrone, estradiol, estriol, or these estrogen isomers and metabolites. Uh, we have to look at the balance of E1, E2, and E3 and its relationship, the total estrogen levels with progesterone. I see many women that are struggling with estrogen dominance. I see many men that are over aromatizing or converting testosterone to estrogen where they have low testosterone and high estrogen. So for men, women, no matter who you are, looking at the balance balances of those. Uh, and then low testosterone, of course, is something that we see oftentimes in women and in men that are struggling with fatigue, weight loss resistance, low sex drive. People that are struggling with hormonal imbalances at large with all of these issues can also be struggling with hair loss and hair thinning or brittle hair and nails as well. And the last but not least, I'm riffing off of these. I, I you know, I'm spitting that out without preparing for this question here, but these are just things that are coming to the top of my mind. The last but not least, it's cortisol. Cortisol is a hormone that our adrenal glands secrete. It's oftentimes people that have circadian rhythm cortisol issues. It's what's known as the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis. Basically, it's the brain's communication with the adrenal glands. So I 
abhor this term adrenal fatigue because it's really not an adrenal problem, but it's what people know as popularly, but it's really a brain-based issue. But again, my biggest beef, if you will, with people talking about adrenal fatigue, and I've written a lot about this topic, but as I'm always saying articles I've written, it's the context of this matters. Why is cortisol off in the first place? These things don't happen in a vacuum. No hormonal imbalances happen in a vacuum, meaning What's the story here? Why are the emails being sent like this? What's the work environment? To understand a toxic work environment, yeah, you can have some really weird emails and we have to look at it and understand that work environment, or in this case, the work environment is your body, is your physiology, and this interconnected dance between the different systems of the body. And another word for functional medicine is systems medicine or integrative medicine. We wanna not just integrate between different fields of medicine, we wanna understand how your body is integrated with itself and understand these different systems. So hopefully this answered your question. Sorry for the long-winded dissertation of hormones, but once I get going, I can't stop. Thanks for the question, May. That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday. And I hope you will too. Talk soon.